Welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a show that explores trends in security and technology and looks at how those trends intersect with us as humans. I spend between 5 and 20 hours a week consuming books, papers, articles, and podcasts, which I then distill into a concise 15 to 30 minute summary with analysis. There's a summary episode every Monday morning, as well as standalone episodes that are either me exploring an idea or discussing one with a guest. The goal is twofold, to give you a concise update on the most interesting things happening in the world and to explore ideas that hopefully give you something to think about. All right, welcome to episode 238. Starting off security news, Twitter had its most serious breach in its 14-year history, which was the result of social engineering against employees. And that social engineering led to access to internal admin tools that in turn granted access to accounts. For 130 accounts, they just got access, but for eight of them, they also downloaded the complete data for the accounts. So there's this functionality in Twitter where you could say, get my data, and you can download everything, all your DMs, everything. And they did that for eight people. And that list of people supposedly included people like Biden, Kim Kardashian, Obama, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and Warren Buffett. But I'm not sure exactly how people came up with that list. So that could be solid or it could not be. There's also a lot of speculation about who did it, but I'm not sure that matters so much beyond whether or not it was a state actor or it was just regular folks who did it. And the rumor is that it was just some people trying to get some really hot Twitter names, uh, single character Twitter names, like at six, for example. And then, of course, people who wanted to make some money via Bitcoin. So it looks like fairly low-level players. Again, I'm not 100% solid on that. I'm not sure anyone is. But it doesn't look to be you know, some major campaign from a major government. The key takeaway for me is that social engineering and God-level admin tools are a lethal combination. Twitter claims that the admin tool had two-factor auth on it, but as we can see, two-factor doesn't stop social engineering attacks because you're attacking people who have the second factor. So we have to rethink how we protect crown jewels in the digital space. It's likely that we'll have to move to a model more like that of national security, where you protect nukes by having multiple people turn multiple keys and other such mechanisms. Maybe having a lot of people who are able to help unlock the God tool and picking the people at random or picking the second person at random if it requires two people, that kind of thing. That would make it far more difficult to target specific people for an attack. But yeah, I think the main lesson here is you have to protect things at the level of its security, right? Or the level of its criticality. So Twitter, in this case, is global security infrastructure. It's no longer a a mechanism for tweeting out what you ate for lunch. And so the security has to scale with that different role. The U.S. supposedly authorized an attack by the U.S. Cyber Command against Russia's IRA Information Warfare Group in 2018 in order to prevent attacks against our midterm elections, similar to how they attacked us in 2016. 
And the president came out and said, yes, I did authorize that. So that is positive in my mind. It sounds like it's likely to be true based on who's reporting it. But I also do worry that it could just be uh, propaganda coming from the current administration trying to demonstrate that they are not soft on Russia and giving examples of whether or not. Bloomberg says the FBI is using Sabre as a travel surveillance tool, which makes sense to me. It's the same reason China is going after similar systems like hacking Marriott, for example. Iran has had a number of mishap slash attacks in the last few weeks, and many believe this to be the work of Israel and or other people in the West. There's a theory that Israel is going to become increasingly brazen, even up to the point of like actually trying to spawn a confrontation because they'd rather have that confrontation under Trump than with a potential successor that isn't him. Russia's Cozy Bear APT group is targeting vaccine researchers with phishing campaigns. I'm curious what the possible desired actions might be if they were to gain access. Like, would they want to steal research to make their own vaccine or would they try to use some sort of content from the research itself to create a disinformation campaign that's partially grounded in truth or maybe some combination thereof. Vulnerabilities, ZDI's patch Tuesday analysis, got that here. I like these analyses that go into all the different patches that the different vendors put out, talk about how severe they are. Microsoft had a severe DNS vulnerability, which you definitely want to patch if you have Microsoft DNS. And the recon bug, that is the branding for the bug, recon all in caps, lets you create admin accounts on SAP servers. Incidents, somebody is selling the personal details and social security numbers of 40,000 Americans on the dark web. And the MGM data breach turned out to be much larger than originally talked about. And some hacker is now selling access to 142 million guests' data for around $3,000. And in companies, Auth0 raised $120 million in a Series F. Technology news. OpenAI's new GPT-3 language generator is stunning people with how advanced it is. So someone's used it to auto-generate code, which is crazy. You say, draw me a circle that looks like a watermelon. And it writes code to create HTML that makes an actual circle, and it has the coloring of a watermelon. But that's all you had to do. You just wrote an English sentence and it went and did it, figured out what you meant. Um, others have fettered a single word and had to produce a full article that most people cannot tell was not written by a human. And someone else had it build them an entire presentation. Uh, so they would build it slide by slide and they would have it make three different slides and they would pick the best one. And the entire deck is made by this algorithm or this system. So this technology is becoming awesome in the original sense of the word, which is 
both amazing and scary. Cloudflare went down last week, and there was much gnashing of teeth as a result. It also took down a number of services designed to monitor whether or not things went down or not. So a lot of people laughing at that. And uh, the root cause seemed to be a misconfiguration. That's what they said in their announcement. There's now a new Peloton for boxing. Google has invested $4.5 billion in India's largest mobile network. Seems to be a lot of investment in India right now. People trying to get out of China, basically. UiPath just raised $225 million to automate repetitive back office tasks, which is really just a euphemism for millions of human jobs. That's a funny euphemism. Repetitive back office tasks. Like, that's a horrible thing. Side note, millions of jobs that humans do making money doing those exact tasks. But they try to make it sound bad, so the fact that they're cleaning it up, like they're doing us a service. Which, to be clear, I think they are. I'm not saying I'm against this, because I'm not against oceanic tides either. But people need to seriously absorb that there are billions of dollars being spent on the quote-unquote problem of companies having human workers. We're approaching a future where there are extremely high-end jobs, extremely low-end jobs, which must be done in person, and not really much in between. And we really, really need to prepare for that future because that future is also driving populism and isolationism and, you know, lashing out against immigrants and political strife. So we really, really have to get this right. Verizon is signing up to use Google's AI customer service offering to automate its customer service and chatbots. Again, this is just like the article above. Just about every major company and industry is thinking about how to replace their massive pools of low to medium skilled workers, right? So this, this company, UiPath, just raised $225 million. That's a quarter of a billion dollars to basically quarter million dollars a quarter billion dollars to automate repetitive back office tasks. And Verizon is switching over a whole bunch of their customer service. I'm not sure if it's all and their bots and, you know, their chat bots and everything all to AI, all using Google stuff. And this is in the customer service space, which employs 3 million people just in the U S So if you keep wondering why there's so much focus on improving AI, this is the main reason. It's because the better it gets, the fewer humans companies will have to employ. That's humans that get sick. It's humans that sue people. It's humans that need to be retrained constantly or upgraded. And it takes time to upgrade them, right? So from a business standpoint, if AI can do those jobs, it's just, it just makes total sense. And the crazy part is those companies don't owe anybody jobs. That's what's so weird to think about here. It's not like they're doing anything wrong. Their, their job is to make money and provide the best possible service. I mean, if you look at the manufacturing industry in the U.S., it's actually stronger than it's ever been. 
but it's employing way fewer humans. So it's not like we lost quality in our manufacturing. It's still quite healthy. Manufacturing is fine. It just doesn't need as many people. And that's about to happen to all these, you know, so-called unwanted back office jobs and customer service and driving in all these places that AI is about to hit really hard. So I implore you not to think that this is not a big deal because they will find other work. Many of them will, but many of them won't. And that's why it's time to really start thinking about what we're going to do with millions of people who want jobs, but there aren't any for them. And learn to code is a solution for some, but not for everyone. And probably not for a lot of people whose jobs are being replaced in this way. Gamers are spending more in 2020 than they have in an entire decade, which makes a lot of sense. What else are you going to do? Not only are you having a lot more time at home, but our meaning loops are being pulled apart. So people will go looking for other ways to find meaning. And the games are getting good enough that you can find meaning in inside the games. And uh, I actually think this relates to the previous two articles about work in the sense that when we start losing meaning from our work, we cannot find work that provides meaning. We're going to find a way, I think, as a society to provide work inside the games, which provides meaning, or to provide meaning in some other way inside the games, because humans thirst for this. They thirst for not just having fun, but to feel needed, to feel valued, to feel like they're offering something to society. And whoever figures out in the gaming world how to give that to people is going to make billions of dollars. Human news. The world is currently undergoing a massive crash in births. 23 nations are expected to see their populations halve by 2100. And because of this, the planet's population is predicted to peak at 9.7 billion people. I did not know this. I thought, um, I, I first heard about this like a year ago. I thought it was going to peak at like whatever. I, I didn't know it was going to peak. I thought it was just going to keep going. You know, 10 billion, 15 billion. Evidently, it's going to peak at 9.7 billion around 2064 and start dropping after that. Of course, these are just models. Those are estimates. So that's super interesting, but I have to say in 2020, I see any discussion about a potential 2064 in air quotes to be pure optimism. Be nice if we even made it there with billions of people still around. The article points out that this isn't a new thing. So it's not just the pandemic is reducing birth rates. That's a separate story, which is happening. I I just don't have the numbers there. I didn't research that because it's kind of a separate thread, but This rather large trend that they're talking about for this piece is all around women being more educated. So as women become educated, their fertility drops. And it doesn't mean potential to get pregnant. It means the number of children that they produce. So that is the reason for these numbers. In many cities and towns, we're seeing private schools reopen where the public schools are staying closed due to COVID. And I think it's hard to imagine a more tangible example 
of the rich kids pulling ahead of the poor kids when you literally have them going to school while the poor kids are not going to school. Nearly everything about COVID that public schools struggle with is done better in private schools. They have fewer students, they have more money, they have therefore more space per student. This is another example of how having more money is not a single advantage, but a constellation of advantages that fractal into additional ones as they interact with challenges. Microsoft did a study on productivity during the pandemic and found some interesting stuff. Weekly meeting times increased by 10% overall, and they had 22% more meetings of 30 minutes or less and 11% fewer meetings of an hour or more. IM traffic after 6 p.m. increased by 52%. That's crazy. 50% more IMs basically after close of business. And scheduled 101s increased by almost 20%. A recent report says an average full-time minimum wage employee can't afford a two-bedroom rental anywhere in the U.S. and can't afford a one-bedroom rental in 95% of counties. The new Ford Bronco has arrived, and people are going fairly crazy about this thing. I've looked at a few pictures. I mean, I'm not into that type of vehicle. I don't really like trucks, but it looks quite nice. And what I see happening is actually an American exceptionalism-shaped hole in people's hearts. People want to feel like America is, you know, still thriving and doing well and still a beacon to, to the world. And they're willing to really grasp onto anything that might make that true. So I think that's true for the Bronco, and I think it's true for Tesla as well, which is why its stock is, what, over $1,600 right now? Coronavirus has caused smokers in the UK to quit at the highest rate in a decade, 7.6%, which is over a third higher than average. A new study improved the cognitive performance of old sedentary mice by giving them blood plasma that came from mice that were exercising. And interestingly, it also worked if the mice that exercised were older as well. So it didn't need to be young mice plasma. It was just exercising mice plasma. Ideas, trends, and analysis. Reverse threat modeling for pursuing attribution. Just a recent thought I had on trying to reverse engineer who could have initiated an attack. Our lighted path to totalitarianism. My recent essay that looks at the five trends that inevitably lead civilizations to a bad place. It's a theory. Doesn't mean inevitably. Doesn't mean I'm right. But if you're listening to this, you know that. Live casting, a piece I wrote way back in 2002 about how society would change when everyone was broadcasting their lives using technology. I got a lot right in here. I think it's pretty cool, but got so much wrong in here as well, uh, just about timelines and specifics, but still an interesting read. You should check it out. It's from 2002, which is, I don't know, four decades ago. How the abolition of mandatory retirement changed America. Why companies lose their best innovators. Tech firms hire red teams 
and scientists should too. And I got here a fascinating thread on Twitter on the sad state of civil discourse at major media outlets. And just a note here for anyone who wants to go read it, it deals with a political topic, but isn't partisan in really any direction. In my opinion, this is why people are moving towards getting their news from trusted people, or perhaps very small groups rather than media companies. I think it's because once you're a large company, there are just so many forces on you that align everyone to a particular narrative and they sort of shame people for thinking differently. So this woman, her name is Barry Weiss, and she resigned from the New York Times because she said there was no discussion anymore. Like there was only one opinion and you either got with it or you were out. So she quit. And uh, it's, it's a really good piece. And uh, she, she's got her resignation letter published on her website as well. Updates. So I told you I was trying this Yes, Please capital Y-E-S-P-L-Z, coffee that John Gruber was advertising on a site. So I got some and I subscribed and I did not like it. Tried it twice, threw it, threw it away basically, and canceled my subscription. It was too sour for me and I prefer coffees same way I like my beers, which is I prefer more subtle, smooth flavors, lagers versus IPAs. And my favorite coffee turns out to be Phil's coffee, which is famous in the Bay Area. It's actually from the Bay Area. My favorites are Tesora and Filtered Soul. And I know this to be true because I just tried like 15 different super popular coffees from all over the world, had them shipped to me, and I still preferred Phil's. And they roast out of Oakland, California, so it's a local company, so it's just all good. Um, but highly recommend that if you're into smooth subtle um, tastes like lagers in beer. If you like that taste in coffee, you should definitely check out Phil's. Um, I'm rather obsessed right now with the idea of writing fiction. And I actually have been obsessed with this for quite a while now, but the urge is growing, which I talked about in a recent post um, about how I want to create art. But I have an idea of how I want to approach it, which is like a cross-section of sedimentary rock. And you studied in school where you could see the layers from over millions of years. So at the bottom, you have one color going across horizontally. And, and on top of that, you have another layer. Um, I don't know, like an ice cream sandwich or something, Neapolitan. So imagine like seven of those layers top to bottom with, say, the bottom layer being like mystery the next layer up being character development, the next layer being setting, etc. So the idea is that I'd map out the beginning and end of a story from the left to right, but would fill it in in the milestones throughout those layers. So the purpose would be to ensure that I am hitting all the key elements I want in the story and not forgetting to include them throughout the text. So if I'm writing a, whatever, a chapter or a page Okay, is there a func is there a component of the setting that I should include? Is there a component of character development? It's like signposts of reminders. Now, I don't want to get too crazy with it and try to over-engineer and try to artificially inject those things in, but throughout the course of a chapter or something, 
you would think that you would be moving along the mystery and the character development and the setting and all those things. So just an idea of how I plan to approach it. Very methodical, as you would probably expect from me. Hopefully not too methodical, but I would argue, (laughs) based on the fact that I have not written anything and I've not even come up with a plan to write any fiction yet, it is too methodical. This goes back to the thing that I just talked about, which are obstacles to creation, right? This is an example of, what was it? The overtraining uh, fallacy, where it's like, I think, I think I'm working on writing because I'm thinking of frameworks. No, if you're not writing, you're not writing, period. So that, that piece was as much to myself as it was to anyone else. And a lot of people reached out and said, oh my goodness, this is absolutely me. But um, yeah, here I am writing a paragraph about writing um, instead of writing. So something to think about. And I got my data report back from Axiom and only took like a week. They said like 40 days. I wonder if they saw my tweet about that and sent it earlier. I don't know, but I'm going to write a piece about it. I looked at it already and it was frightening. So be writing a piece on that soon. Discovery, team improvement techniques, a breakdown of how unemployment is hitting different demographics, the Atlas of Surveillance, how to run a live coding stream on Twitch using OBS, five types of dashboard. Forbes takes a look at MITRE, and for the first time I've ever seen in an article, it puts it in a not-so-positive light regarding secret projects tied to the government, etc. Explain why you're asking your team to do something. Notable is a Markdown-based notes application. 50 Ideas That Changed My Life. This is from David Perel. And I've got my concepts page listed below that. Get JS words. Find unique words in JavaScript files in order to populate word lists. And recommendations. If you're up for some low-stress, super-fun sci-fi, I highly recommend the Murderbot series, which I just finished. Each one is extremely short. Um, Very short. They're like novellas. But the author, I forgot her last name, but her first name is Martha, and she won Hugo and Nebula. I'm not sure if she won them or she got nominated, but it's, it's really good. It starts extremely fast. It's very approachable. It's uh, quite nice and highly recommended. The Murderbot series. And the aphorism for the week. The only way to predict the future is to have the power to shape it. The only way to predict the future is to have the power to shape it. Eric Hoffer. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unsupervised Learning. The show is not supported by ads because I think they're annoying and toxic to the future of content creation. So if you enjoy the show, you can support it directly for just $5 a month or $50 a year, which is two months for free. Members get quite a few things. Most notably, they get the newsletter every week instead of just twice a month. They get access to the archives. They get access to the UL Slack community, where we have great conversations happening all week long. And members also get access to the UL Book Club, where we pick a book a month and talk about it live as a group. 
To become a member, just head over to danielmeisler.com slash subscribe. And thank you so much to everyone who's already a member. I truly appreciate every one of you. We'll see you next time. Thank you.